Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast, Blizzard's that X that you shouldn't go back to. <laughs> but you always do. <laughs> <laughs> Blizzard sitting there twirling its hair, sucking all the lollipops. Like, hey, <laughs> I'm back in town. It's at 2 a.m. Booty download. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Not this time, Blizzard. Not this time. <laughs> I deleted your number. We're more mature. Right. <laughs> it up use a podcast daddy want you back that ass up (laughs) (laughs) use a real podcast won't you back that recording up (laughs) damn you sound good (laughs) (laughs) well that just fits really well doesn't it it does thank you what is it cash money millionaires or something like that (laughs) yep you're the top 100% in brazil won't you back that ass (laughs) Are you guys ready? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 27, and today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host for this evening. But I have with me, for the first time in the last month, my two co-hosts. <laughs> My first co-host thinks The Exorcist is a comedy. <laughs> and my second co-host is a quackshot speedrunner and breakfast oh, sausage God. enthusiast. <laughs> Everybody say hello to Ryan, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews, and the one and only Donnie G. And if you want to get any of that, you got to become a patron and listen to the other <laughs> episode. I do love a good sausage, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah i know you do yeah everybody knows <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get the show started with our reviews reactions and requests luigi leo says great episode i hope we can get an e3 next year and a nintendo direct soon drink a beer and play a game says blue going hard on the sonic trailers and i'm here for it just doing <laughs> my part <laughs> Ramboski says, I tuned in for the first time to listen to episode 26, and I think I'm hooked now. Love the format, great content, fantastic and entertaining discussions, and you must definitely have a part two to the story at the end, Gaming History 101, for future generations to enjoy. Loved it from beginning to end. Here, awesome. here. 
That's why I love to hear that stuff. So yes, thank you. thank you. That was really, really sweet. Yeah, that made me smile ear to ear. And now it's time for the very important part. Damn. <laughs> you have a vibrato? Or is, is that are you? Is this opera night? Uh. Pavarotti is my nickname. <laughs> you, I can't see it, but he's actually wearing a tux right now while we're recording. <laughs> I am. I am. I thought Pavarotti was your safe word. <laughs> <laughs> that too, sir. <laughs> Letting out all the secrets. <laughs> all right. Well, every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP or very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. This week's question was... What place in a video game would you want to go on a vacation slash holiday to? Coming in third place was Flabinor from Tales of Symphonia with a whopping 1.2%. Still better than Kelly Slater. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Second was Destiny Islands from Kingdom Hearts at 23.2%. And in first place, taking this one was Gold Saucer from Final Fantasy VII at 38.5%. And uh, 29.3% of you said others, so let's take a look at some of the comments for the poll. Kevlar Monkey said a fully functional, non-infected Halo ring would be wild. I like how you Right. (laughs) (laughs) Non-infected, fully functional. Those two things. (laughs) I agree. Dylan Bassett, once said Hyrule seems like a cool place. Absolutely. Uh, Kirk Lammy said, Far Cry 3, I used to drive around the beautiful island while pretending I was looking for a property to live on. It's Far Cry Property Brothers. (laughs) 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 Uh, Nerdy Guy 777 said, Any place in Fable 2, even Bloodstone, LOL. And EmoS said, Ludi from Ragnarok Online, a town of eternal Christmas. Just thinking, what's this? What's this? It's Ragnarok Online. (laughs) 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 All right. So taking a look here, Donnie, what did you go with? It's your answer. Obviously, the first thing I wanted to select was Gold Saucer. You know, it seems like a place of debauchery and and whatnot that you can. (laughs) Right up your alley. Exactly. <laughs> you can gamble and do get, get all your vices out there. Um, but I didn't go with that one. I saw another Twitter user post about a fully functional Tron grid, and that blew my mm. mind. I would most certainly love to visit something like that. That like I love like Tron, the original Tron was okay. The second movie, uh, Tron Legacy, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, And I I would love to visit that. But the fictional location that I chose was, and it's not even fictional, it's Seattle. Seattle, Washington, from the setting of Shadowrun. Ah. You know, I I was going to say, this sounds really boring. (laughs) (laughs) Just the the whole cybernetics, techno-noir setting that is Shadowrun has always enticed me. I've been a fan of that game since um, it first came out on the Super Nintendo. And I know it, I, I, it existed far before that as a role-playing game, but that game specifically is near and dear to my heart. So you've got magic users, you've got people with cybernetic implants, jacking into corporate networks, trying to overtake them. That to me is, is a good fantasy setting. And I would, I would like to, to visit that someday. But vacation there, man. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. You don't have to live there. You can just go there and experience it and get the hell out. It's like going to the running of the bulls. Like, I love. (laughs) Lots of people do that. (laughs) 
well, but, you know, I guess. I, I hope your insurance is good. <laughs> you know, I can pick up a bionic arm, uh, a chip to implant in my head. It, it's it's all good. There we go. <laughs> Blue, what about you? So if I thought really hard about it, I probably could have come up with an interesting answer, but I decided not to. I decided to go with Destiny Islands from Kingdom Hearts, mainly because I know it will annoy you to talk about <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to choose. Ah, my blood spoiling right now. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so Destiny Islands are where the game begins, the very first game. It's uh, some islands, of course, beachy islands, and that's where you kind of get introduced to the main characters. Uh, it looks nice. It looks pretty. It must not be that hot because they're all kind of wearing shoes and normal clothes like you would wear anywhere else. So, yeah, why not? Very nice. Very, very nice. <laughs> I wouldn't go there, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> not about you. You do you. You do you. <laughs> I will. <laughs> what would you pick then? Obviously, Gold Saucer. Obviously, Gold Saucer. Obviously. I've had an affinity for Gold Saucer for a long time. I've always thought that that should be a real theme park somewhere. I mean, probably impossible considering just the logistics of it, the the tram ride that you have to take to get there, and then all of like the the tubes that you have to ride to get to that different oh, sections. God, yeah. of, but I'm sure you could do something like, and I it, it, Japan is is the perfect place for this to happen. So Japan, please make my my desires a reality here because if you think about it just there's so many cool things to do there like you said i can gamble i can play arcade games i can go down and check out the hotel that's like horror themed which is kind of cool and fun horror themed horror yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm just clarifying i'm just clarifying that's that's that can happen at the hotel too i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you gotta pay extra Chocobo racing, come on. Who doesn't want to do chocobo racing? Now, granted, I don't think you can race, but you can, like you said, gamble on that kind of stuff. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, I want to spend thousands of dollars and only get a Phoenix down. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> can we have it without the annoying music, though? Oh, the music is part of it, man. Oh, no, no. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Are you changing your answer? <laughs> I hate that music. I uh, do. I hate it with a passion. It's because it's catchy and it sticks with you. That's why. You know it's true. No. no. Girl, you know it's true. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I hate that music. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that, again, the Gold Saucer is, is such a unique experience as far as video games are concerned, especially as a kid when you first went in there, you're like, wow, this is super cool. So Agreed. definitely some nostalgia involved with that. The other thought was like Casa del Sol, which is in Final Fantasy VII, which is a yes. you know, beach town as well. Not a whole lot to do there, but I'd love to buy a beach town property for only $300,000 nowadays. <laughs> so What's the um, exchange rate between gill and dollars, though? Um, excellent question. (laughs) Just going to say it'll work in my favor. That's all I'm thinking. (laughs) Right. All right, let's move on to our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Davey PGH, the Red Ox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamma Emo-esque, 
Bill Tucker, Rye Bread's number one fan, Fruitcake's number one stan, The Wizard of Zardoz, Playman 71, Great Siaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, Sure Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, and Terry Kinnear. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, let's move on to our headline segment. And our headlines are proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Right now, they want to hear your memories of the Apple II computer. Send your answers to email at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. Uh, My first experience with an Apple II was in school. They Mm -hmm. had one in elementary school at the lab. And I specifically remember taking images and printing it off on the dot matrix printer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As it printed everything off with those reels on the end. Oh man. Good times. And just tearing away the paper that, that was satisfying to me. So satisfying. But then you had to be really careful because if you did it too fast, you would tear what you just printed. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Steady, steady. Yeah. All right, so uh, first off from Game Informer, Sega multiplayer game Hyenas Revealed. Sega's Creative Assembly is working on a brand new game revealed today, Hyenas. The title is described as a multiplayer, multi-team heist experience set in space with a punky comic book aesthetic. What this means practically is players can jump into five teams of three to battle each other over prizes and engage, invade, exploit, and steal their way to victory. The story envisions a world in which billionaires have finally made it to Mars, destroying Earth in the process. However, the rich get nostalgic for their former planet's culture. So they send out ships to collect plunder from the remnants of Earth's poor survivors. Not content to take this sitting down, the hyenas are fighting back. The game is still in early development, so the creators have not revealed the release date, but we know the game will be coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Though it's still a ways off, you can sign up for Hyenas Alpha today. I wonder if they stole this from Red Dawn as like, (laughs) the Wolverines! (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming we're the hyenas. Well, in this case, I watched the trailer. That's not really made clear. Who are the hyenas? Okay. Uh, it is. It's not. You're right. 100%. Mufasa. I just hear that name and I shut Mufasa. Ooh. Do it again. Say it again. <laughs> Say it again. Mufasa. <laughs> Surrounded by idiots. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> so I suppose we should have seen this coming when it was uh, Sega put out that teaser that said, we're going to reveal a brand new IP, a brand new game that's coming out. They put out that tweet yesterday or the day before with just the little sound as the teaser. And of course, everybody's imaginations went wild about what it was going to be. You know, they were going to bring back Echo the Dolphin. They were going to do this. They were going to do that and got everybody hyped. And then, of course... It's just another multiplayer FPS game. <laughs> Boring. Yeah, snooze. Uh, 
We can hope, can't we? I mean, at least I can, since I, I, I proclaim my love for Sega almost on a daily basis. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's it's at least worth picking up in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's like an Among Us type game or something like that, where a bunch of people can get together and actually enjoy playing with each other. And it, it actually, based off of the trailer, it reminds me a lot of Overwatch. Uh, but of course, you're on a ship of some kind. But it seems like there are specific characters. So there's one guy who's wearing a Nixon face mask, right? <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh, another guy who has a gun that apparently shoots out like foam that you can use as a platform or something to black bullets. So my oh. guess is, is that each round or each match, it's the same characters and you can either get randomly placed or you can choose which one you want to play as. Uh, so every person has its own like purpose, if you will, which, you know, for fans of Overwatch, that that is huge because it's right. uh, an aesthetic and a, and a gameplay style they really like. So, by all means. But, as Blue said, it's, it's another first-person shooter. Right? Another so, multiplayer first-person right. shooter. Right. I mean, if it works, it's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. People know that it works. They're going to continue to pump these things out mm-hmm. in hopes that, hey, we, we have a hit. Well, and I, essentially, this this style of gameplay is the platformers of the 80s and 90s. Everyone made a platformer, mm-hmm. uh, mo- especially in the 90s. Everybody made a platformer with a mascot that had attitude to all cash in on that kind of stuff. And right. eventually, the industry moved on from that. There's Yes, there's still platformers, but not to that extent. So, you know, we're in a temporary state where that's the style of gameplay that's the most successful one. And hopefully something that would be probably more befitting of what we would want comes along to replace it. But I mean, it is what it is, I guess. Right. Mm. I know it makes me sound old to say that I, I really could not care less about multiplayer FPS games, but it does seem like there are no AAA developers left besides Nintendo who care about making platformers at all. It's almost like a dead genre unless the indies are doing it or it's the next Mario game. Right. And that sucks. It does. But plenty of new roguelike Metroidvanias for you. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sure you're not complaining about that, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. From VGC, Sony is reportedly planning to announce new hardware, including a PS5 Pro controller. In a report published on TryHard Guides, industry insider Tom Henderson claims to have heard from several sources that the platform holder will unveil new hardware at the end of June although this won't include a new console. Described to Henderson as a genuine professional controller for PS5, the new pad will reportedly feature removable analog sticks and grips, trigger stops, and back paddles. Henderson said he was provided with images of an alleged prototype for the PS5 Pro controller, which it's claimed will have significant software upgrades. Following reports of a delay, it was also recently claimed that Sony will confirm a November release date for God of War Ragnarok later this month. While unclear, it's speculated that Sony could be planning to announce the game's release date as part of a wider event, which also includes the reveal of a new PlayStation hardware. You know, I have to constantly remind myself that the PlayStation 5 has been out for a few years. Yeah, it's not next gen anymore. It's current gen. Right. Has it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 2020 is when it came out, right? Yeah, November 2020. Well, the fact that they're, they're, they specifically said it's it's not a new console, and I would think that if Sony decided to jump to a new console like right now with only two years, that to me would just be like, okay, I'm 
officially done with that. <laughs> well, it would not really be new, new. It would be a PS5 Pro if they did anything. And the timing, based on what they've done with previous generations, is kind of like it would be about time under normal circumstances for them to come out with a PS5 Pro. Right, right. right. But, of course, there's all kinds of um, problems with the supply chain for making consoles. And actually, that's an interesting point because Microsoft confirmed earlier that they're having a shortage making controllers for Xboxes. And they haven't really said why that is. But whatever's at the root of that, will it be something that also affects Sony's ability to put out PS5 Pro controllers? Interesting. Blue, you have a PS5 controller. It's pretty robust as of now, right? Right. I think it's amazing. The DualSense is amazing. I can't imagine feeling like I needed to upgrade it. Of course, I'm not looking for back paddles or grips, anything like that. I'm not somebody who needs it to be like super, super high functioning because, you know, the slightest little misstep is going to make me lose my Fortnite game or something. But. <laughs> Or your sponsorship. Right, or my sponsorship or anything like that. The only thing that I could possibly say would be nice is it, if it wasn't so heavy. It's a very heavy controller. <laughs> but that's what I guess you get for having all the haptic feedback stuff in it. Now, you, you, said, you said a specific word right there. What do you guys think they're going to announce? If it's not console, my vote is maybe a haptic suit. Um. Well, they're going to announce the PS5 Pro controller. What? 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 <laughs> what? No, what? no, no. Including, inclu- so announce new hardware, including a PS5 Pro controller. So there's something else. It mm. sounds like there's something else coming along with that. Okay. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I took out of it. <laughs> Haptic suit still sounds crazy to me, though. Do you think we're there yet? No, I really don't. No? Uh-uh. I just think cost-wise, I, I think technology-wise we can do it. It's just cost-wise, it's prohibitive because I would imagine it'd be thousands of dollars if you want. Everything to is, though. Whenever it first comes out, everything right, is right. very, it's, it's, it takes a lot to get into that market. And then, of course, you know, as we've seen over the time or over years, it drops dramatically. Well, if you think about technology. VR, for example, right? VR was strictly the domain of indie developers back in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Where mm-hmm. they were making yep. VR, even the, the early 90s. If, not, if I remember, I right, remember the, the movie Hackers, where he's playing right. <laughs> yeah. uh, VR. <laughs> you know, you know, that's where it was thousands of dollars. So it was kind of the domain of the super rich. And then eventually, of course, you know, PlayStation VR comes out and it's only a couple hundred bucks. So... I think we're at that stage of the 90s when it came to VR, where if you want it, I'm sure there's something out there that you can play that on. It's just not something that the average consumer is going to do or that Sony would release without the cost of that unit being affordable to the average consumer. Right. Yeah. If they're going to announce something besides the PS5 Pro controller, I would think it would be something having to do with the PSVR 2 because that's still upcoming. I want that to be the, the case, though, so bad. So do I. An affordable haptic suit? That Oh, my God. We are so close to the Oasis. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm staring at my Aura Interactor right now, and that thing was ahead of its time. And I would love to have something like – I would love to have a haptic suit like Ready Player One, but we don't have – the VR yet. VR has really not taken off as much as we want it to or as much as we thought it would be right now. 
So does that make sense to come out with a haptic suit? It, it would be probably a third party thing. Cause like Ryan was kind of saying, when Sony releases something, they want the sales, they want all the sales. Absolutely. But having a haptic suit, would that change what kind of games you guys play? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Not going to answer that question. I think that's a safe way to, to answer that, Donnie. I'm going to <laughs> second what Donnie said. Hey, I don't know where you, you guys are going with that. I'm just, you know, will you keep playing Call of Duty? Will you get shot all the time? I mean, oh, yeah, I'm so innocent. Yeah. I, don't I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> All right, next up from Polygon, Final Fantasy 16 won't be an open world game. In a recent spate of interviews, producer Naoki Yoshida has shed a little more light on Final Fantasy 16 and the departures it will make from other recent Final Fantasy games. Most significant is that it will not follow Final Fantasy 15 and using an open world design. Yoshida told IGN that while inspired by the open world games that dominate big budget single player gaming at the moment, he wanted to use smaller sections of more varied locations to convey the game's epic scope. He also explained that while Final Fantasy 16 would feature the series' traditional party of combatants, companions would be AI-controlled, and the player would remain focused on the protagonist, Clive. We didn't want to overwhelm users in our newest trailer, so we focused solely on Clive's battles, Yoshida said. Yoshida revealed to GameSpot that it will likely be the first mainline Final Fantasy game to receive a mature rating, due to the difficult adult themes his team wants to tackle. Clive hmm. is such a nerdy name. Like, hi guys, I'm Clive. It's <laughs> like, so, come on, you could have done better than Clive. <laughs> <laughs> what what name would you pick? I don't know. You've 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 had Cloud. You've had um. Squall. What's the guy from Squall? A Squall. It's like even Squall. I can get behind Squall. No pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Clive, and I know there's there's only one other badass person that I know. Named Clive, Clive Owen, but uh, I don't think that fits here. I guess we'll have to wait and see what Clive is like. <laughs> Though that Clive. would be a, that would be a bold departure to feature a nerd as the protagonist <laughs> character. <laughs> but what I like about this is saying that it's not going to follow Final Fantasy fifteen. In using an open world design, I enjoy the open world part of Final Fantasy 15, but the less that Final Fantasy 16 has to do with that game, the better. That's a bold statement, and I, I like that, especially considering you're such a fan of Final Fantasy, especially 10 and beyond. Mm-hmm. It speaks volumes that you had such a poor experience with 15 and that they maybe taken the feedback from people to say, hey, this is this game just did not live up to your expectations. I, I'm curious, though, to kind of switch it from an open world design. That's such a popular aesthetic nowadays. Uh, I wonder how many people are going to find this to be exciting and interesting. I, I mean, I play a lot of old school, like retro uh, RPGs, and not all of them are open world. And I think that they work out fine. So it's sandbox open world. Right. Really. Yeah, realistically. Yeah. But the the thing that also intrigues me on this is the difficult adult themes and that it's going to receive a mature rating. Right. So it's going to be like Grand Theft Auto Final Fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious to find out what kind of adult themes they're talking about here. Right. Is there going to be like violence? Is there going to be blood? Is there going to be other adult things? Uh, It will be interesting to see how far they go into it. Well, you need a like haptic suit taxes. to experience it. 
Um, but I think that the, um, like Final Fantasy X was not open world. You would go to the different locations uh, via the airship once you got it. And mm-hmm. then it had kind of these just little sections where you could explore. Still felt like a very full world. It still felt like there was plenty to do, but without having that giant open world map that, like this article says, it dominates AAA games recently, but there's also been quite a bit of pushback against that because people get overwhelmed. And sometimes having all this space to explore doesn't mean it's worth exploring. So I think you can have either one. It just depends on how good of a job you do putting it together. It's it's all about delivery. It's all about execution. And and to to your point, Ryan, when you said that everything's full of open world now, maybe because of that, that's their reasoning for going in a different direction. Yeah. More people will appreciate, oh, it's not just another, it's not just another open world. It's not just another MMO. It's not just another first person shooter. It's something different that's basically making a U-turn. And oh, okay. That's it's different. All right. I'll give it a shot. And Square Enix historically has been a pioneer of different styles of gameplay. So it's not surprising that they would be willing to take a risk with this if they feel passionately about it as well. And they're willing to tech on adult themes. Uh, it seems promising to me, at least. Yeah, so far, so good. We just have to wait and see what they're going to do with cup noodles and stuff like that. <laughs> well, it's wow. funny. Donnie said it's all about the delivery. And I kept thinking, it's not delivery. It's cup noodles. <laughs> <laughs> That's trademark infringement. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about trademark infringement later today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up from Tweaktown, streamer spends $15,000 on Diablo Immortal, finds five-star gem, and quits. Now, just as a preface to this, there is some adult language that we, of course, will bleep out, but it's not me saying it. (laughs) I'm reading the article, I promise. (laughs) So the odds of finding a five-star legendary gem in Diablo Immortal are astronomically against you. We put the odds at 1 in 2,000 for a 5-star legendary gem dropping, which basically means you'll spend thousands of dollars on legendary crests. Case in point, streamer Quinn69 spent 20,000 New Zealand dollars, about 15.7 thousand US dollars, on Diablo's immortal legendary crest before he found a single 5-star legendary gem. Once he actually found one, Quinn did the unthinkable. He broke the gem down to infuse a useless one-star gem, deleted his character, and uninstalled the game for good. F*** you, Blizzard. (laughs) (laughs) Quinn69 said to his audience live on stream, then deleted his Diablo Immortal character. Can you believe Blizzard put that out? Can you believe they put their name on that The last time we checked with Quinn69, the streamer had spent 6,000 US dollars on Diablo Immortal on June 8th. Now he's done with the game and is moving on to non-monetized mobile titles. Meanwhile, Diablo Immortal has made an estimated 20 million from micro transactions. Does anyone else feel stupider for having read this? A little. Yes. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is really clearly a publicity stunt. Absolutely. If you want to tell Blizzard that their microtransactions are crap, that their business practices are terrible and unfair, then you don't do it by giving them $15,000 and then deleting the game. Exactly. They don't care that you deleted the game. They have your money already. You're an idiot, Quinn. 
<laughs> this is this is exactly like the people who boycott and protest bands by cutting up the band's merchandise or the CD. They <laughs> right. they like take it. I'm holding up to see this CD, and they break it. Guess what? You're giving them publicity, and you already bought their out their their item. Right. So they have your money. So right. what? This doesn't serve a purpose. The only reason I could figure that he did this is because he's going to get a ton of attention for it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're giving him attention for it. So hopefully he got $15,000 worth of attention for doing this so that his uh, his investment paid off. But yeah, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Nobody do this. I just wish I was at the point of my financial career that I could <laughs> afford to just wipe my ass with $15,700. Right. On a mobile game. On a mobile right. game. Right. But to kind of pivot a little bit, this is the reason why I am so hesitant about playing anything that Blizzard puts out anymore. Right. I'd really like to check out Diablo 4. I think it looked, the trailer that they put out uh, last week during Summer Game Fest, it looked good. But this yeah. is the kind of stuff that Blizzard does now. And I'm I'm not going to play games if it's full of this kind of stuff. Just thinking about like long term, why would Blizzard set the odds that low for something like this? Because idiots will spend $15,000. Well, and and <laughs> exactly. clearly they know their audience, but it just seems so obnoxious to me. that <laughs> they, they don't care about being obnoxious. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> It's obnoxious, but they're doing the thing that they know people will do. They know people have that that desire or drive to like, oh, if I just like maybe if I spend another five dollars, I can I can possibly get it. It's that gambling addiction there. That's what I was going and to they're, say. They're, is they're that, at the end of the day, that's that's tantamount to gambling addiction. It is, and they're exploiting it. Good job, Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, I started to download Diablo Immortal, and I'm like, I, I read this. I read this thing. I read how it was full of microtransactions, and I said, nope. I stopped it mid-download. I said, I'm not I'm not participating in this. Now, Diablo 4, when it comes out, I don't think that this one would be full of microtransactions because I'll Diablo 3 is. is not. The last time that I touched Diablo 3 was make, maybe a year ago. I started to get really hardcore back into it again, doing runs on dungeons and stuff like that and trying to get set gear. But I didn't spend, I didn't spend a single solitary cent of my own money to do anything in that game. And I will be damn happy if Diablo 4 comes out and it's exactly the same thing like that. I don't have to spend the money if I don't want to. It doesn't feel like a pay-to-play thing. Fair. I just I bought the game, or Diablo 3, because I had so much fun with it on PS3. And so I got it for Switch, launched it that first time, was just overwhelmed by all this crap, and then I deleted it. Hmm. So money well spent, huh? Yeah, money well spent. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> Blizzard's that X that you shouldn't go back to. <laughs> but you always do. <laughs> Blizzard's sitting there twirling its hair, sucking all the lollipops. Like, hey, <laughs> I'm back in town. It's at 2 a.m. booty download. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not this time, Blizzard. Not this time. <laughs> I deleted your number. We're more mature. Right. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our top three new releases for the week. <laughs> uh, the late night booty call by Blizzard. <laughs> Twirling their hair, sucking on a lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> you know you want it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay, collect yourself. <clears throat> Fire Emblem Warriors, Three Hopes, Platform, Switch. Step into the shoes of Shez as they 
Shez, that's a they? <laughs> Sounds like a three stooge. You know? <laughs> Would you rather have Clive? <laughs> no, no, I think Shez works at this point. Step into the shoes of Clive. <laughs> Step into the shoes of Shez as they join Edelgard, Dimitri, Claude, Claude, and other Fire Emblem Three Houses characters and fight for the future of Fodlan? Sure. Fodlan? Allied with a leader to build and command an army in strategic one versus 1000 style battles. The house you choose will bring you through one of three compelling stories, each with a different outcome. Sonic Origins, platform, PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC. Relive the classic collected adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic CD in the newly remastered Sonic Origins. From the iconic Green Hill Zone to the treacherous Death Egg Robot, you'll speed down memory lane to thwart the sinister plans of Dr. Robotnik in polished high definition. This latest version includes new areas to explore, additional animations, and a brand new anniversary mode. Madison, platform, PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Switch, PC. Madison is a first-person psychological horror game that delivers an immersive and terrifying experience. With the help of an instant camera, connect the human world with the beyond, take pictures, and develop them by yourself. Solve puzzles, explore your surroundings, and most importantly, survive. (laughs) So, out of these three, um, Ryan, which one sounds enticing to you? I'm going to go with Madison here. So, I've I've decided that... I want to get into immersive, like psychological horror games. Oh, he's hooked ooh, now. Ooh, here he's we hooked. go. So uh, the the only thing that concerns me about this is the help of an instant camera sounds a little bit like the Pokemon Snap. Visage. <laughs> no. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but Visage, yes, too. Oh man, watching you play Visage was one of the, the best times. It ever was had. so good. And then that like one end scene where you're like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Where you guys immortalized me in a meme. That was great. Yep. What the f*** is that? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think that this would be something that, you know, I'm looking to get into. It's new, so I don't have it spoiled by other folks. And uh, I think it'd be something fun to play. Sonic Origins, I've got like 90% of the games already. So yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And Fire Emblem, I've never gotten into. So there we go. Madison's my guy. All right. Blue, what's your choice? So I'm also going with Madison. Um, not into Fire Emblem or Muso games. Uh, and Sonic Origins, we've discussed before, and no thank you at all. Madison, I don't normally like games that have cameras as a mechanic, but I think horror games actually use them really well. Like you were talking about with Visage, and there's also like Fatal Frame series. Mm-hmm. So this could be a good one. Donnie, what about you? I completely agree. And it's a clean sweep this week. Um, Madison is my choice. Um, for anybody that knows me, whenever I streamed Visage a couple of years ago, I instantly fell in love with the game. I love horror games. I love the horror genre. This one seems initially, it, it seems like a direct clone of Visions. But what they do with it that's different than Visage, I'm eager to find out. Um, I loved the camera mechanic being able to carry that thing around and take pictures in the dark because you had lighters, you had candles, those would eventually run out. I could sit there and use the flash of my Canon DSLR and light up the entire room. And one minute I take a picture 
nothing's there. The next minute I take a picture and something's staring me right in the face. And that game sent shivers up my spine and made me want to empty my bowels into my gaming chair. <laughs> so you need to like uh, put plastic wrap over your gaming chair first? Yeah, I need no, to no, wear no, no. an adult diaper. No, that's probably better. Yeah. Kitty litter. Just throw a little kitty litter down the back. <laughs> in the litter box, in the litter box. <laughs> But Madison, I, I, I hope it's not a direct ripoff. Um, I'm like you guys. I love solving puzzles in a horror theme setting. And this, as long as the ambiance is there, I'm all for it. I think we need another Donnie horror stream. It's been too long. It has been too long. We I need think- some new memes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the clip button ready. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Since it's coming out for PC, I'll check it out on Steam and see if it's available, and and I'll do I'll do a horror stream of Madison. Nice, I can't wait. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and announce our Switch Sports giveaway winner, provided by JNL Games? So if we get a little drum roll here. <laughs> Connor! JLP25 Connor, congratulations to you, our big fan of Alanis Morissette and Dairy Girls. Congratulations, you're going to be receiving a copy of Switch Sports. So, congratulations to you! Uh, Thank you all for your support, we really appreciate it, and uh, look for more giveaways. Speaking of giveaways, we're actually doing another giveaway this week. I know, it's like we're raining down from the heavens, but uh, thanks to our friends at Grid Studio, we are giving away a Grid Game Gear. Now, Grid unfolds and restores retro items like Blackberries, iPads, and gaming handhelds into amazing collage frames, and they're providing us with a Sega Game Gear collage to give away for free. This is a $229 value, so we are very excited. To enter, look for at Retro Game Brews pin tweet on Friday. Take a picture or screenshot of you listening to episode 27 and comment on the tweet. We'll be accepting entries from Friday, June 24th to Tuesday, June 28th. And you're already listening to the episode, so why not pause it, enter into the contest, and maybe you will win an awesome prize. But if you'd rather not wait for the giveaway, you can enter the code WEP15, that's Wesker Eggman Pikachu. <laughs> and the number <laughs> 15 checks out one five at checkout to save 50 percent and let them know that gamers week podcast sent you why does at retro game Brews have to pin the tweet why can't donnie g retro pin the tweet and get some exposure and get some more followers i'm just thinking you know i've got like you know 12.2 thousand. oh he's flexing now oh, he's, he's flexing now he's, he's doing the helicopter right in my face <laughs> 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 that was an unexpected visual. Can't unsee that. Like a helicopter. Oh, mystical. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, let's move on to our main. That wasn't topic. mystical. It, I thought it was that, mystical. That was Petey. No, that was Petey Pablo. Petey Pablo. Mystical is um, shake your ass. Oh, Watch it. Yep. Shake your ass. Right. Show me what you're working. You two done? Sorry, Blue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main topic. From Yahoo, Summer Game Fest, where did all the AAA games go? 
It's a weird year for video games. We're 19 months into a fresh console cycle, and support for the PS4 and Xbox One is finally tapering off as developers shift focus to the PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC cloud gaming platforms. The pandemic slowed or paused development on a generation of games, and studios of all sizes are being absorbed by the biggest names in the room. The industry is in flux, and the rest of the year reflects this instability. Put simply, there aren't a lot of huge games coming out in the second half, of 2022. Right now, the video game space is made up of delays, big promises, and more delays. That doesn't mean there's nothing to look forward to. Between indie and AA developers, cloud libraries, and mobile games from Netflix of all companies, this period of transition will still be packed with plenty of things to play. The 2022 holiday release calendar definitely looks thinner than it did a few months ago. But the first half of the year was fairly busy with games like Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Gran Turismo 7, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And those are just the well-funded releases with big, shiny ads. The year has also been good for indie and double-A titles like Neon White, The Quarry, The Stanley Parable, Ultra Deluxe, Sifu, Tunic, Ali Ali World and Salt and Sacrifice already available. The summer's peppered with even more small but fantastic looking games like Cyberpunk Cat Simulator Stray, Sam Barlow's Immortality, and the widely anticipated Cuphead DLC, all due by the end of July. So, yeah, there's plenty of fresh games heading our way this year. It's just there won't be many AAA blockbusters out of Sony and Microsoft. Whether we like it or not, these studios set the pace of the industry and gaps in their release schedules can make it feel like the development has stagnated across the board. And right now, there are a lot of AAA gaps. What makes it worse is the fact that Microsoft and Sony have announced and then abandoned multiple huge projects over the past few years, giving all of us something concrete to miss in every showcase. There are a couple of big cross-platform games due to come out this holiday season, including Hogwarts Legacy and the Callisto Protocol. But fanfare for these titles have been fairly muted so far. The sense of insufficiency in the industry this year is the result of the console makers announcing things too early, with too much fanfare, and too many impossible release windows. Of course, the pandemic didn't help, but as it stands, these studios promised the world and then went quiet on multiple massive franchises, and the silence is particularly deafening as we enter in an anemic six months of AAA releases. Thankfully, there are so many amazing indie games available right now and coming later in 2022. And between cloud, mobile, and PC services, there are more ways to play these titles than ever. So kind of what this sounds like to me is this is not a AAA problem, and this is not really a, a delay problem as a result of the pandemic and other things. This is a marketing problem. There's plenty right. to play, but indies yeah. and double A's just don't get the marketing that, of course, the blockbusters do. So it feels like a worse problem than it is. In my opinion, it's not a problem. I feel like games are being pumped out too quickly. I feel like the backlog is ever growing. And with games like, let's just say, Elden Ring that come out, um, you've got the new Sonic game that's coming out. Games that want to take hours, days, weeks, if not months of your time. How are you going to juggle all this? I'm more than happy with maybe five or six games coming out during a year like major titles, and then follow that up or pepper that with, with smaller indie games that maybe take uh, a week to, to, to get through or play if you're like very dedicated to it. 
So to me, I'd, I'd much rather see that than just a, a crap ton of games being put out in a year that I'm never going to play. Yeah. Well, and I think that this is just also kind of a natural cycle based off of just what's happening. And I don't think, again, it's not based off of the pandemic slowing thing down or necessarily, but you know, some years you're going to have a lot more saturation in regards to these titles being out there. Some years you won't. I mean, if you look at movies, it's the same way. What like 1994 had all of those big blockbuster movies hit in one summer. And then, you know, the year after that, it was like, crickets basically <laughs> from from what you saw it's i think it's the same thing as this uh what i think this article is doing a little bit though is trying to create a little bit of a sense of f- not fear but like alarm that triple a studios aren't releasing as much but there's a lot to be excited about it's just you got to do a little bit more research to find those versus right being kind of lazy back in the day or at least you know from the years past of having it shoved in your face Right. If you really if you really want to find a good game, they're out there. Trust me. It's just a little tough though. I mean, how much research do you really expect the average person to be able to do? Like if you go for example on the eShop, it's a mess. How on earth can you possibly sort through all those titles to figure out which ones are quality and which ones are not? Let alone find something that that would interest you. You're just kind of lucky if you happen to stumble upon something that you really love. Like uh, Hollow Knight was a game that I had never heard of until I just happened to stumble across it in the eShop and was interested in the cover art. And then it's like my favorite game ever, one of my favorite games ever. So I just happened to get lucky and find it. But there's like this whole other alternate reality where I never heard of it because it just never got any sort of marketing, any sort of publicity. And there's got to be so many quality games out there that are like that. Oh, absolutely. In an alternate universe, I don't have to keep hearing about it every week. <laughs> uh, but it's such a great game. And now whenever Soap Swamp comes out, you're definitely going to have to hear about yep, it. Yep, you're going to have to suck it up there, Ryan boy. You know what the nice part, though, is that we run a podcast that kind of covers the the weekly releases. And not to me to like kind of brag here, but uh, <laughs> in the idea that we are ha- providing a service, I mean, it's we're we're one of those sources that that help research for folks as things come out. Of course, we can provide our opinions, but we are at least providing some light to games that may not get as much publicity. Like, for example, Madison, that probably has not gotten as much publicity as a, a huge AAA title. Uh, so if you're somebody who's big into gaming, you probably have some sources like that in some capacity. Now, your average, quote unquote, average person may not. But if you are struggling for games, that will probably light a fire under you know what and provide people the opportunity or motivation to seek out more and more things from friends, a a trusted source, rather than, to your point, going through the eShop and just seeing that muddled mess. I mean, if you go through the Switch eShop, yes, they have recommendations for you, but it's Nintendo's recommendations, more or less. And at the end of the day, if you just look for, like, what are the new games, uh, 90% of them, 99% of them are garbage mobile games, practically, that they ported to the Switch. Yeah. So... Find that trusted source is the best way to do that. Well, and what's the logical expectation here? Like if you're browsing the eShop and you, they don't have a demo or anything or even a video to go on, do I really have to go to YouTube to, to try and look up a gameplay for every single game that looks interesting to me? That's time consuming. Right. Yeah, but that's where social media has kind of come into play where people are saying, you, I love this game. You got to check it out. True. 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 But, but your, 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 your likes are not the same as mine. Well, and also that, I think it's asking a lot to expect that the average person out there is going to be able to hop on Twitter and have access to the kind of 
community that we do. And most people are just going to be stuck with what they see. You know, if they ask their friends for recommendations, their friends are going to go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they won't have any more clue than them. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm a first person shooter, tried and true, man. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't play any of that other stuff. It's just war, it's, it's war zone all the time, man. That's, that's what I can recommend to you right now. Right. You're like, uh, okay, I don't really I'm, like that. I know that guy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Oh, it's somebody I met at a party a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> we were passing around um, um, Mario Kart, and the guy was just standing there watching. I was like, hey, you want to play? He's like, I only play Call of Duty. okay cool 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 glad we met (laughs) was it at your house by chance no it was not okay you you couldn't be like get out (laughs) yeah there's the door sir (laughs) kindly leave (laughs) one of the the other interesting things i point they pointed out here was that there were a lot of game studios who have announced big games and then canceled them or moved on to different projects that's Part of the problem is that the expectation has been set with consumers that there is constantly a feed of new stuff coming out all the time. It's the Nintendo Directs. It's the Summer Games Fest. It's the E3s. It's the Sony State of Play, where there always has to be a lot of content that's available out there. And in order for a game company to be relevant, they have to have something to present. I mean, how many times have they come out with a game and said we'll be releasing this sometime soon and three years you know elapse and you still haven't heard much about it. <laughs> silk song and you shut <laughs> your mouth it's a really awful marketing model if you would do that with any other product and try to get the hype out of somebody and then expect them to wait for years in order to enjoy it most people wouldn't wouldn't come back around, but gamers are different in that sense. But the expectation again has been, I want information. I want to see new games. I want this thing. Right. And it's game companies. They've obliged to that in long term. That's not a, it's not a sustainable scalable model for them. It is a weird business model. It's almost a little bit like they're selling their soul just to be able to be relevant I guess it's like you want to have a good showing at E3. You want to have a good showing at Gamescom. So you announce all this stuff really early. And like you said, people want information. So they get hyped. But then it's like you say something about Starfield and it's going to be epic. And then you don't say anything for years afterwards. Or Outer Worlds 2 or Elder Scrolls 6 or Fallout 5. All of this stuff is announced early or leaked early. And then you hear nothing forever. So... What is the point of being relevant that early and then losing it all? Because people get tired of waiting. The point is to put the bug in people's ears. Because if you do that, then it'll be in the back of their minds. Like, oh, oh, wait a second. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting on Starfield. Oh, uh, let me just, let me check. Let me check. Because if you don't put it out, then people don't know. You don't get the foot traffic. You don't get the web traffic. But as long as you put that bug in people's ears, they're going to continue to hang by a string, especially those people that are very dedicated to your brand. Absolutely, they're going to. I guess, but how does that benefit you in the meantime? The only time I could think about this, which would make sense, is if you were trying to push people from an old console to a new console, so PS4 to PS5. And the ironic part about that is that Sony is in that moment, and so is Xbox, and they don't have anything to show as a result because uh, they have been pushing out these marketing things for years and years and years. And now that there isn't a whole lot of content available, like this is the worst time for them then to have a shortage of AAA games. 
Yeah. So that's poor fair. planning. Poor, right. poor planning. And if you're not careful announcing something too early and then giving no updates and then your game becomes a meme like Metroid Prime 4. Right. That was announced in 2017. Uh, for a long time, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Right. Was announced yeah, for like 10 years. years. Yeah, 10, 8 years. <laughs> oh my God. Come on. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy way to do things. And then when you finally get to finish a game, you rush it out because people are just breaking down your door to get it. And you run into a Cyberpunk 2077 where they're like, oh yeah, people still play this on PS4 originally. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whoops. You have this high expectation from from a gamer's perspective. If I'm waiting 10 years, if you've announced a game and said, oh, it's going to be the baddest game you've ever played, and I'm waiting 10 years, I'm like, okay, all right, all right, I see what you're doing, and you release it, and it's a complete dumpster fire, and people get their money back, that's going to sour me on your brand forever. So it's a gamble. It's a risk that they take. You win some, you lose some. And I think when it's it's the reputation of your your entire company as a whole that's on the line. I don't think that's a gamble you should take at all. Right. Like I was saying, I aside from maybe putting a bug in people's ear, even though your most hardcore fans will be there no matter what, they don't need a bug in their ear. Right. right. But I'm not sure what early hype actually gets the companies tangibly. Does early hype maybe send the, the traffic to other titles that may not be blockbusters that your, your company is putting out? The only time I would say that that's probably the case is if it's a sequel to something. If you're like, oh, 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 uh, you know, Starfield 2 is coming out. Now I got to play Starfield 1. I don't want to be left behind. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. But most of the time, I don't think people are looking at developers going, yeah, you know what? I'm going to check out their library. You don't think? No, I, I just, I, I don't think that there's, well, at least maybe that's just my anecdotal thought from, from where I sit. I don't think I would be like, oh, I need to check out this developer if I'm interested in this other game. Unless it was relevant to that game. So what's our takeaway from this? Uh, our, our takeaway, I, at least my takeaway, is that is it is it necessarily bad that we don't have uh, a lot of AAA games coming out? We've seen a lot of indie games that have come out that are blockbusters, that are on the same level as a AAA game. Mm-hmm. So do we necessarily need that, that quote-unquote AAA title game to come out just to satisfy people? I don't think so. And realistically, if you think about it, this is one year. So it's one data point. If this becomes a trend, yes, then it's something that's concerning. Because that means that the AAA studios have really rolled back into what they're pushing out. And that means that there's less content and less information available about video games in the long term. So that would be, that would be the sign of a decline for me. But the fact that this is just one year, it could be a complete fluke. It could be just the, the timing of what everything is going on. So I'm, I guess I'm saying don't hit the panic button yet. <laughs> <laughs> but just keep an eye on it, I guess. And play indie games. Play as many indie games as possible. Right. Play the hell out of them. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. Gaming History 101 is proudly sponsored by the Leadist Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. Did you know Mario got his name from a real estate developer that rented a warehouse to Nintendo in Seattle? 
It's true. Try this one. How did Metroid protagonist Samus end up with the last name Iran? Tune in to The Leadist Podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find The Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. I know the Mario question. I knew that piece of trivia. I do not know the Samus answer. Same. I think the Mario one is pretty common knowledge if right. amongst right. gamers. But yeah, this one, this one I did not know. I know this one, but so somebody tried to explain it to me and I never really got it. There's that flex again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to know the real answer, listen to the latest podcast, latest episode. Thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. In today's lesson, we're going to discuss two court cases that involved Nintendo in the 1980s. So polish up your gavel and prepare to cross-examine your mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so starting at Objection. the beginning. Yeah, I knew. I knew something was going to be like, sustain, <laughs> sit down. All right. <laughs> starting at the beginning. First, uh, we'll be discussing Nintendo versus blockbuster so before i jump into this are you guys familiar with this case at all no no it's an interesting case in the fact that nintendo tried to sue blockbuster for something that wasn't 100 relevant to what they were looking to stop and so we'll get into that here but this dispute was raised after multiple blockbuster locations across the u.s uh, were accused of allegedly photocopying and reproducing nintendo's video game manuals when renting out nintendo titles Nintendo claimed that that was an infringement of their intellectual property and claimed that they hoped to change the laws on renting video games and video game rentals. Now, Nintendo at the time was very much against rentals. Uh, reason being is players could rent the games in a limited number of times, but Nintendo only saw profits from the one-time purchase of each game from Blockbuster. So this was a marketplace in which they were getting no extra, extra dollars for and conceivably, people could play these games and not pay Nintendo a dime. At the time, though, the movie rental business in America was was booming. It was actually generating more profits than even the box office was at the time. Uh, somewhere around $5 billion versus $4.5 billion. And as a result, Blockbuster decided, and, and other popular rental companies, uh, started cashing in on this new thing that was coming out, which was video games. So... Unlike music albums, rental of video games and movies were completely legal in the United States. So Nintendo had to figure out a way to stop rental companies through the legal system. So this is why they stumbled upon the fact that Blockbuster at the time were photocopying manuals, mostly because manuals would get lost or destroyed when consumers would rent those games. So Nintendo used this as a means to sue Blockbuster for copyright infringement. So they were like, we can't sue them because they're renting games, but we can sue them for this. So we're going to put a dent in their, in their overall profits. So on August 4th, 1989, Nintendo filed a formal lawsuit against Blockbuster in New Jersey federal court under the claim that the copyright law had been breached. The suit charged that at least one company owned store and three franchises within New Jersey having photocopied manuals to rent them out to consumers with their respected Games Now, Blockbuster at first reacted negatively to the suit and sought alternatives to photocopying the manuals. Uh, Robert A. Guin, 
the vice president of Blockbuster's national development stated that if need be, we might even consider writing our own, which I thought would be kind of cool <laughs> to have, you know, like a piece of ephemera. Like I've got the Blockbuster manual for this one. You know? Right. <laughs> wow. Now, the company did not pursue this course of action, deeming that it was a waste of resources when video games made up only 3% of their annual profits at the time, which that changed drastically in the 90s. But in September of 1990, the House and Senate of the United States were, they were in the process of writing the Computer Software Rentals Amendment Act. And Nintendo lobbied hard to have video game rentals included in that act, but Congress actually ruled in the favor of Blockbuster and agreed that the rental of video games would be widely allowed. Now, down the road, Nintendo and Blockbuster actually repaired their business relationship that they kind of lost during the lawsuit and ended up collaborating throughout the 90s. This included Nintendo allowing Blockbuster to rent uh, and sell a number of games made exclusive for the rental company's stores. And the 1994 Blockbuster Video Game World Championship was making use of the Super NES console throughout the competition's primary, regional, and final rounds. So if the thing comes to mind, like uh, Hagane was a blockbuster exclusive, uh, there were N64 games like uh, Sculptor's Cut, which are now huge collector's items. So yeah. uh, I hate that they got back together. <laughs> those things are very, very expensive. So the next case that we're going to take a look at, uh, we're going to cover uh, stems from 1983 and 1984 when Universal Studios sued Nintendo and... Before I move forward with that, are you guys familiar at all with this case? Is this the whole Donkey Kong suit? It is the whole Donkey Kong suit. Yes. Yes. So Nintendo was sued claiming that uh, their video game character Donkey Kong was a trademark infringement of King Kong, uh, the plot and characters of which Universal claimed as their own. Now, this is also going to include a lot of names you may be familiar with, and it also may include uh, a future name uh, outside of the 80s that became a part of Nintendo's IPs. Now, in 1982, though, Sid Sheinberg, the president of MCA and Universal Studios, was actually looking to get into the video game market as it was generating millions at the time. Now, if Sid had a crystal ball, he would have seen that the crash was coming, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, Scheinberg learned of the success of Nintendo's Donkey Kong game, and his analysts concluded that Donkey Kong's storyline was based on that of King Kong and was an infringement of Universal's rights to that film's character. Now, Scheinberg also learned of the licensing agreement between Nintendo and Coleco, and Scheinberg scheduled a meeting with Coleco president Aaron Greenberg on April 27th of 1982 under the guise that he was going to discuss investment in Coleco. Instead, when he showed up, Universal lambasted Greenberg for copyright infringement and threatened to sue Coleco if they released a Donkey Kong game as they had planned. Damn, ambush. So the next day, uh, Universal telexed Coleco and Nintendo, giving them 48 hours to cease marketing Donkey Kong, to dispose of all Donkey Kong inventory, and to hand over all records of profits made from the game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, give us sure. all the money. <laughs> it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it plays out, <laughs> right? <laughs> On May 5th, Greenberg agreed to pay Universal royalties of 3% of Donkey Kong's net sale price amounting to 6 million units and worth about $4.6 million. A week later, he signed an agreement that stated that Universal would not sue Coleco as long as Coleco paid 
royalties. So they strong-armed Coleco into signing this agreement. Now, Nintendo did not go down so easily. And in fact, Nintendo's attorney, Howard Lincoln, was the first, was at first, though, looking to, to do a settlement for about five to seven million dollars. But eventually he decided to fight the case, reassuring the head of the company's U.S. division, Manuro Orakawa, that this was a sign that Nintendo had made it big and that Nintendo had discovered many unlicensed uses of King Kong's name and the character and that Universal's trademark on these were less than 10 years old. So uh, June 29th of 82, Universal officially sued Nintendo since they didn't agree. And the company also announced that it had agreed to license the rights to King Kong to Coleco. So on the same day they sued Nintendo, they're like, by the way, we have this partnership with Coleco. Now, fast forward to January of 83, uh, Universal sent a cease and desist letter to Nintendo licensing or licensees offering options to stop using Donkey Kong characters, obtain a license from Universal, or be sued. Six of their licensees caved, but Milton Bradley refused to do so, and Lincoln hired John Kirby to represent Nintendo in court. So that name should sound very familiar. It does. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It just so happens that they paid homage to John <laughs> in this, you know, this crazy game called Kirby's Dreamland. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but Universal Studios versus Nintendo was heard in the United States District Court uh, for the Southern District of New York by Judge Robert Sweet. Now, the trial lasted only seven days, during which Universal argued that the name Donkey Kong could be confused with King Kong and that the plot of the game was infringement on that film. Kirby alleged that Universal had no rights to the King Kong characters and that they had, in fact, successfully sued RKO Pictures in 1975 in Universal Studios versus RKO General, where they proved that the plot of King Kong was in the public domain and thus opened the way for Dino De Laurentiis' remake. Sweet rule that Universal had acted in bad faith by threatening Nintendo leases and that it had no rights to the name of King Kong or the characters in the story. He further held that there was no possibility that consumers could confuse Nintendo's game with the characters of King Kong films and their characters. So literally used a court case in which they said that we could use this guy because he's in public domain and then tried to sue Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not the brightest move ever. Right. And this was less than, than 10 years before that, if you think about that. That was like eight years before they had done this. So this wasn't ancient history. This wasn't something they had done in the 30s, you know, and then they were bringing up old litigation. Uh, this was relatively fresh. I'm assuming that there were guys on their legal team that were also involved with that case. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But you, right? you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I guess. So. I guess. <laughs> But kind of wrap things up here, Nintendo has had a kind of a long history of legal battles uh, where they played both the aggressor and kind of the recipients of legal filings. And soon in a Gaming History 101, we'll discuss one of the biggest cases when they took on Tengen, but we'll save that for another time. That's, that's got I a lot know of what that's about. Detail. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's more than just that, too. So it, it's not just uh, what you're thinking of. There are many other subplots to that as well. But uh, thank you for attending today's lesson. Just a reminder, if you have any ideas for a story you'd like to hear, message us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com, and we might feature your suggestion. 
All right. Thanks, Professor Rybread. And let's go ahead and wrap up this show. Thank you for listening to episode 27 of Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the Leadist podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode, as well as JNL Game and Grid Studio for sponsoring our giveaways. Don't forget to check out all their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC, email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com, visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com, or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all next week. See you all next week! Jeez. (laughs) I really need to get a Gamers Week t-shirt that we can wear to the Southern Fried Gaming Classic. Yes, you do. Yes, I will be doing that right now. If only you knew of a link to the merch store where you could do that. I I wonder where I could find that. Hmm. Perhaps in the show notes. To the show notes. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. I plead the fifth. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like... I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's dick in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your dick fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> If you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.